Hi everyone, welcome to Voices of Western, the Humans of Western podcast. This is where we delve into everyday stories of students, staff, and faculty on campus. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at humans underscore Western. You can also find us on TikTok, YouTube, and our Facebook page, Humans of Western. My name is Zainab. And I'm Kevin. Today's episode features Jan Kami, a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy here at Western. His research involves astronomical observations to study the surroundings of dying stars and the interstellar medium. And he is part of a large international collaborations, including researchers from NASA. He also taught and is teaching multiple undergraduate and graduate courses here at Western. You may recognize him if you've taken the famous first year physics for the sciences course. Professor Kami's journey to where he is now is one that we loved listening to and gained much wisdom from. From deciding his career path with a coin flip, chasing his passions, to working towards making an impact through his students and research. Our talk with Prof. Kami left us inspired. We hope you enjoy it as well. Voices of Western listeners, we have a very special guest today. We have Professor Jan Kami. He's a professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy here at Western. And I see on your page, it says you study large uh, molecules in the interstellar medium around dying stars. Maybe you can kind of give the listeners a little bit of introduction for yourself as well. All right, sure. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for having me. So, yes, my name is Yanka Mi. Um, um, since I was a little kid, I, I wanted to be an astronomer when I grew up. That's That's what I would actually answer. Um, and I still want to be an astronomer when I grow up. Um, and so in that sense, I think I, I have like a dream job um, doing astronomy. I do astronomy research, uh, but I also do teaching uh, mostly in physics uh, the, the last few years. Um, and I also like to do a lot of outreach. So I run the Cronin Observatory on campus. Um, I also actually organize Science Rendezvous, which is a big science festival on campus uh, that this year will be on, uh, on May 7th. I'm also the Associate Director for Research and Outreach um, of Western Space, so the Institute for Earth and uh, Space Exploration. Um, and so my path here um, was, was long and windy. And, um, you know, when, when I was a student, I would have never guessed that this is where I would end up. Um, so I wanted to do astronomy. I studied physics. <clears throat> um, after actually in high school, my, my focus was on, on classical languages and philosophy, so Latin and Greek and uh, Greek cool. philosophy. I did the one uh, prep year of math and then did my my um, physics degree uh, and the problem so i'm originally from belgium and then the problem uh, when once i got my degree was that um, there was no real option to actually do graduate studies um, in astronomy um, and so you know i i had no backup plan so my entire life i was like i'm going to be an astronomer and then suddenly this was like a dead end and i i had no backup plan and so it took a while, but then I learned of about this opportunity to do a European master's program in astronomy and astrophysics, which required half a year um, of courses and exams in, in Portugal. And then the second half of the year was a research project that could be essentially anywhere in, in Europe. And my first thought was like, mm, nope, I, I'm not going to leave Belgium. I had a very active social life, loved my family, friends, uh, you know, was the president of the student association, I, I kind of was an acquirer and stuff. So I like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not leaving. But I was like, mm, it's astronomy. So I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll just do this. It's, it's a short while. It's, it's going to be a great experience. I'll, I'll do this one more year of astronomy, and you know, I'll, I'll find a real job after that. <clears throat> 
So I went to Portugal, loved the experience. It was it was great. Also, you know, very hefty in terms of of uh, studying. So it was graduate level courses, but you typically had one course per week. Um, and so we had classes six days out of seven. So including on Saturday, um, and and you wow. know, so you, you had to kind of work the entire time just to kind of kind of keep up with uh, with the material. And then we had exams. We had ten graduate exams in one week. So we had four exams. Oh my week. god! <laughs> um, so I mean, that's essentially I think where I learned learned almost all the astrophysics that I that I know. Uh, and then for the research projects, um, what I thought was the most interesting research project was at, at the Leiden Observatory to study large interstellar molecules in, in space. Uh, but there were two of us in, in the class that wanted to have that project. And so only one of us could have it. And so literally it was decided by a coin flip. <clears throat> <laughs> and so I, was, I was the lucky one, so I could do this, this project. Uh, so that was, How long ago uh, was that? That was in 96, uh, so it's, it's, it's been a while. Oh, wow. So coin flip decided both of yours like life trajectory a little bit there. That's right. Yeah. And um, so I did that project while while I was doing that project, I got offered to do a, a PhD in the Netherlands in a different in a different city in the north of the Netherlands. Um, so half between that uh, city and, and Amsterdam. So I was like, well, great, it's going to be four more years in astronomy and then I'll find a real job after that. A real job. I love how you say that. <laughs> well, because for me, doing astronomy was like a dream job, right? So I mean, mm -hmm. that for me, this whole idea that you could actually be paid for doing astronomy was like so absurd to me. And when I was a grad student, I got my first paycheck. You know, it was five hundred and twelve Dutch guilders, so it's about two hundred fifty dollars or so. I was like, yes, yes, I'm <laughs> dream. I'm being paid for astronomy. But then, you know. <laughs> I, I very quickly figured out like that's actually not enough to pay the rent. So <laughs> later, but um, so that was my plan. And then um, so, you know, four years actually became six years, my PhD. And then while I was finishing my PhD, um, there was one of the professors that actually just arrived. He came from the US, from California, where he worked uh, for NASA. Uh, and so he actually told me that somebody at NASA was doing the sort of research that I was interested in. And so uh, I was like, hmm, that would be nice. So so I wrote a proposal to get a fellowship from the National Research Council in the US to go to NASA and do the research that I actually enjoy doing. And uh, sure enough, I, I got it. And so, you know, the, the day I left to the US, and by the way, I had never been in the US before. So I decided to move to a country I'd never been in before. You know, I told my mom, like, look, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be gone for two years, you know, and then I'll be <laughs> a real job. And then two years became almost five years in, in California. Wow. Uh, and then so my better half is, is also a professor here, actually, at Western. So we were both postdocs uh, working for NASA. Um, but it was harder and harder to actually get um, get funding. And one of the reasons was that back then President Bush had decided, like, you know, NASA should focus on getting us back to the moon. And so as a consequence, the science budget were cut in half. And so we were both always competing for the same pots of money. And um, it's from th those research grants that we also had to kind of pay our own salary and stuff. So that actually became harder and harder. Plus, we were foreign nationals in the US, which is always a little bit risky. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, we, we decided to kind of apply for all sorts of positions because, you know, astronomy is a small field. The chances that you find a job together at the same place at the same time are very small. And uh, so, you know, we applied at, at, at various places. 
uh, you know, got some job offers here and there, but never, never too within a workable distance. Uh, and then, you know, she saw this job here at Western um, for a tenure track position. So she asked whether I was interested in, interested to move to Canada, to which I eloquently responded, hell no. <laughs> because compared to California, where living is like really easy, right? I mean, you don't have to worry about weather and that sort of things. Mm -hmm. Like, nope, nope, I, I don't think so. But, you know, she applied anyway. Uh, she got the job offer. And then it turns out that Western had this um, this this plan for spousal appointments where you know some universities realize that that it's maybe not unusual that that people who study together and and are passionate about science maybe kind of also get along well and stuff right and the, so there was a there was a spousal appointment procedure so it essentially meant that i got a five-year position with no guarantee for an extension and you know floor level salary and that sort of things but um but it was a job and then over time uh, managed to convert it into into a permanent position and so we we moved from california to western here in the in december 2006. so moving from california to canada in winter was probably not the smartest thing we've ever done so it was a bit of a shock. Uh, yeah. but yeah so since then we've we've been here i love wow. that story so much it's such like you Incredible. went to so many different places and did so many like different things. That's amazing. It's it's a bit the thing that that uh, you know. So ac academia is, is 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 tough sometimes. Mm -hmm. There's a few things I like about academia. There's a lot of things I I, I kind of don't like. It's one of the things I don't like is that that a lot of the connections that you make with people are temporary. You know, as a grad student, mm -hmm. we had like we had good friends, and then everybody moves to a different part of the world, and you you start losing those friendships and you know that, that so that's that sort of things is difficult uh and then if 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 you want to go for for position as, as professor yeah i mean you know something something's got to give you have to make some you have to do some compromises and so for for us the compromise was that that we couldn't go back to to europe essentially to uh, to get a job there so you know we're living very far away from our family and our friends and so so you know sometimes that's that's difficult um for sure until the pandemic, we were actually able to travel frequently back and, and see our friends. So that was good. So in that sense, the pandemic was was really tough uh, for me. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it goes, I guess. I was going to ask, what did your mom say about your terrible time estimation? <laughs> well, I mean, it took it took a while. And um, <clears throat> so so in Belgium, people don't really move away uh, very far. So I have three brothers and and they live all within like 10 kilometers from you know the house where I grew up. Um, right. So everybody lives lives nearby and you know people people don't move away very much. Uh, so for her that was that was really hard. Um, but then at the same time, you know she also understands that that um, you know I, I do the job that I wanted to do and I'm, and I'm, I'm good at it and so as long as i can i can stay in touch and kind of go back to belgium regularly i think she's she's okay with that yeah no I, that's that's great that your mom's very supportive in that because i was gonna say you in terms of the career that you're in working in the space uh like uh field you're already in a very select very like niche category of people in the whole world like how does that feel very specialized knowledge in this it's it's kind of beyond earth, like literally, right? 
It is, and there's a lot of things about astronomy which you cannot possibly wrap your head around, even if you're in the business for a long time. I mean, I mean, some of the sizes and scales in the universe and are just incomprehensible for for humans. Um, so, so for for me, it's um, it's 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 great. I mean, I'm I'm still passionate about this. So I was always an amateur astronomer, which means that on the cold nights I would actually be outside with a telescope and. Um, so, so when I came here, the Cronin Observatory was available, and so I started. I started going there. So I still do that, and um, you know, sometimes actually I now give people people a tour, and and you know they pay some money for that. I'm like, it's it's crazy. Like I'm I'm talking about my hobby, I'm talking about what I really enjoy doing, and and because of that, I'm also interested in it. So that's that's how I know a lot of things, and I've studied it. Uh, and and people would actually pay me to actually hear me talk about that, and for me that's still completely unbelievable. Um, and it's Living your dream. Yeah, I've I've always always followed my 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 passion, and and the thing is, if you do that, um, it it never costs a lot of effort. I mean, yes, it's working and it can be tiring and that sort of things, but you have this internal motivation to go right and. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've always been passionate about a lot of different things at the same time, and so so I, you know I I wanted to do physics and and astronomy, but also I I played music right, and and um, so actually when I was young I I, I played piano quite a lot, um, and so I recall at some point like I I realized I could also do university studies in in, in music, and so that was a bit of a tough choice. <clears throat> I was as passionate about music as I was about about astronomy essentially, and. Um, so I, I just made a very conscious decision that you know if I would pick music as as my profession, what are the odds to still do physics in your free time? True. You know, that's a bit. That's maybe a bit too geeky, right? Astronomy, maybe sure, but and I thought the other way around. I mean, if I'm if I'm doing astronomy research or and studying physics, I can still play music, and and I do. I still mm-hmm. play. So. Awesome. It's a good thing if you find if you find what you're passionate about in life and and you pursue that, but but you have to do it. I think I think in a, in a wise way, right? So so at each point in in this 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 progress. Um, so because each time I say you know it's like two more years and then I find a real job after that, I always was looking for like what what could I do if if I cannot find a, a position after this, and I would always have been okay with 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 a different job not just any job i mean i would be looking specifically for things and so for instance when when we were in california um we, we had very diverse seminars right so that's that nasa center is in silicon valley in the heart of silicon valley in mountain view where google is is located so google was our neighbor essentially um and and so we got these these very diverse people giving giving seminars and so i remember at some point that there was a talk about the physics of skin and fur and that was a talk done by a physicist at Pixar Animation Studios, and it was a physicist who essentially kind of developed the the, the CGI for Monsters Inc. Like like how how wow. modeled in a computer, uh, and nobody had really done this right. And and I I think it was like a brilliant talk. And so you can actually see like you know there's like surface tension involved in skin, and there's gravity, and if you don't balance those out properly, then all sorts of weird things happen. Uh, so you know, and she could demonstrate that with with um, you know with with like gag reels from from uh, uh, Monster Sink. 
Um, and then around that time, they were actually looking for another physicist um, with scuba diving experience and, and experience in, in like ray tracing. So ray tracing Boy, is that's so specific, like scuba yeah. diving and physicist. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I may not remember this perfectly, but they kind of, that's, that's to me how it sounded like. And maybe that it's more like, like some affinity with underwater world or something, but essentially they were looking for somebody for finding Nemo. To kind of make sure that <laughs> oh. the lighting underwater was was realistic. I right? see. So that would have been a job if I would have gotten that job. I probably would have enjoyed that that too. <laughs> so, but I've always been able to follow my passion. I've I've always had had like some backup backup plan because you know when I got my physics degree, I had no backup plan and and mm -hmm. like like falling into that black hole where you're like, oh my god. What did I do, and what am I going to do with my life? And I'm lost, and I'm doomed, and so I never wanted to get into that sort of sort of position uh, anymore. So you know, after that, I always made sure I had like some some vague backup plan at least. And then it's great if you follow your passion. You're you're you know, every day you wake up and and you're doing something that you really enjoy and that you're really interested in, and it's the best motivation to get out of bed in the morning. So. Wow. Last week, we actually spoke to a career coach, and one thing he kind of brought up was how windy and like unpredictable the path to building your career can be. And I think your story is a great testament to that. It's true. It, it depends a little bit also on, on what you want, right? I mean, if, if so, for instance, if I absolutely would have would have wanted to stay in, in Belgium, then then the option was to pick a different career. And that's that's a bit the thing, right? You have to kind of make these choices in life. And um, <clears throat> I, I, I think when you're young, these, these choices are sometimes really hard and, and you, you, you kind of can get the feeling that, oh my God, if I make the wrong choice, I'm, I'm, my whole life is ruined. I think as you get a bit older, you actually realize like, it's not that bad. I mean, I mean, if you make a choice and it turns out that it was not the best choice, then, then you, know, you make a different choice a bit later to kind of correct for it and go, go elsewhere. And the other thing is that you may not always kind of want to go in the same direction, right? The sort of things I want in life now are different than what I wanted in life when I was 20 years old. And mm. there's there's still a lot of a lot of, of the same direction, but a lot of the details are quite different now. And I want to move away to teaching. When did you get into that? Like when moving to Western or before? I've done some teaching before when I was a graduate student, um, and and back then it was like specialized courses, parts of like like graduate courses. Um, but I really kind of kind of started teaching, much actually undergraduate teaching when when I came to Western, um, and um, so Western is is unique in in a lot of ways, and one of the ways that they're unique in is that they have this center for teaching and learning. And um, so all faculty is strongly encouraged to take this, this course over the summer, um, which is about teaching at the university level. Mm -hmm. uh, so the people okay. that run the Center for Teaching and Learning are like the award-winning teachers. They're like, like absolutely amazing, amazing uh, uh, the teachers. And so, you know, you have, you have this one week where you learn a lot of things, but also you can practice and, and try out a couple of things. So the first year I was here, I actually didn't take that course. So I had one year of teaching and then I took that course. And so that course actually taught me that, that you know, a lot of things I had been doing that first year were just wrong. Were not great. Were not, not the best way to go about it. 
And so, you know, I started, I started picking up things and I started, started um, implementing all sorts of other techniques uh, in the teaching and, and learning about it um, and, and having lots of discussions with my colleagues about, about like, how should we do this? And does this approach work? Does this approach work? So, and almost every year I make, I make changes to, to the courses that I teach just in hopes of improving actually the, 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 the learning that the students can do. And, <clears throat> it's not necessarily the case that I want the students to learn as much content as possible. I want them to actually get, get it's physics that I teach right now. And I want them to get to actually a deep understanding of the physics. And um, so that, that takes, that takes a while. It also takes like some hands-on trying out and working through problems and that sort of things. And, 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 and how, how can we encourage that? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I mean, over the years, I think I've, I've changed very much, um, how I see teaching, also what I've been teaching, and um, so so in your academic career, one of the things you have to do um, is is at some point when when you go for tenure, for instance, you have to make a teaching dossier, and so you know you're asked to not just say what work have you done in terms of improving courses and that sort of things, but also you need a teaching philosophy, and so you know you 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 start thinking like like how do I see teaching and what's what's the importance of teaching. And so I did it when I when I went up for tenure in in 2015, and I did it again when I went up to for promotion a few years ago. And um, so I was like, wait a minute, in in those like, what is it, five years or something? Mm -hmm. My view on teaching has changed a lot. And so my teaching philosophy now is 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 actually quite different than what it was, you know, even even in 2015. So, um, <clears throat> and yeah, and and. So what I what I try to do is is so for for me kind of teaching is is probably the most important thing that I do, and and I I say that not uh, you know not randomly. This is this is a question that I that I had to ask myself um, um, a while ago, and so this is going to take a while, but I'm going to get back to 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 this point here. Um, so in in 2013. I, I at some point realized that I, I was not very happy, um, and it, it it wasn't necessarily clear why. I mean, sure there was lots of stress and and that sort of things involved, um, but I always have this feeling like I want to do research and and I can't because I have to do teaching. And I'm sure it's something that you've heard from <clears throat> from I've other. Heard it a lot, yeah. Yeah, and so I was I was there, and you know I had I had these research projects, and and we were scooped a couple of times just because we couldn't spend enough time on the research, and so you know you do a half big job in the research, you do a half big job in in teaching, and and overall you're not you're not really happy, mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, so so I think the most important figure in 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 my life in kind of determining my 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 life was actually my dad, so my dad was my physics teacher in high school. And um, so he introduced me to astronomy, essentially, but he also um, he he stimulated my my curiosity and uh, sometimes at his own expense. Right. So I remember at some point when I was a kid, he brought home like a giant strong bar magnet, which I then wanted to try out on everything, including on our newly bought TV. No. <laughs> oh. So we didn't have like a properly working tv after that anymore with like this <laughs> <laughs> um, so how did he respond to that 
well i mean actually in an amazing way because because he he realized that what i was doing was just being an explorer which is exactly what he wanted to to stimulate in a sense <laughs> but I, he wanted me to be smarter about it and and sometimes think a little bit before doing something <laughs> so i mean he was he was good about it and i mean there were a few more examples like that but um so so you know he he stimulated me i always would talk to my dad about our my research um and, and that sort of thing as well but then um you know he he got sick and uh, so in 2014 he actually passed away and um so in in the last year of his of his life you know he you know not not willingly kind of kind of very unconsciously he kind of made me realize like you know he you know he was he was sick and a lot of things were taken away from him um but he was happy and he was grateful and um you know so it made me realize like why why am i complaining right i mean mm -hmm. i i have essentially everything that i that i wanted to have in terms of a job i'm doing astronomy for crying out loud and uh, so you know why why am i not happy and so you know he he died and and shortly after that we had our first sabbatical uh, so the sabbatical you don't take holidays necessarily but essentially you spend the year without teaching and without service so it's full-time research um, but i wanted to use that time as well to kind of reflect on this and kind of kind of ask myself like you know why why are you not happy and and you know try to align is what you want in, in life and so um after thinking about this for a long time, I came to this conclusion that, that this whole conflict between research and teaching was what was making me unhappy. And it's it's conflict where I don't think there should have been a conflict necessarily because I'm I'm also an idealist, right? And I can, you know I, I feel like I want to, I, yeah, things need to change in this world, right? This world needs to be a better place, and there's all sorts of problems and we need to fix them. Now, am I necessarily the best person to solve all of these problems? Well, not necessarily. But what I can do is I can actually, through teaching, I can actually train the next generation of students that will contain a lot of people that can actually actively work on, on a lot of these problems and solving. So, so you know, <clears throat> it's like, like this saying that you know, teachers change the world like one, one student at a time. And so, you know, in 2014, that's essentially what I started realizing that, that, that the best way that I can make this world a better place is by making students that actually have more skills in problem solving, that that understands like rational thoughts um, and and you know I, I can teach that through physics. Physics is is in many ways an ideal course or an ideal field to kind of kind of um, uh, teach those things. <clears throat> and so for for me that that actually was 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 a big change because once I could for myself say like okay so teaching is is for me personally an important thing in 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 what I want to do with my life. It's okay to spend time on it. And so now I, I do spend time on teaching like like this term certainly as I'm, I'm, all my time I spend on teaching so that means I'm not doing any research I, I do my research then, then in the summer. So I spend far less time on research but but that's okay because at least I, I, I know or I understand now that that what I do for teaching is um, at least well is actually more important than, than the research that I do. I might enjoy the research when I'm all by myself I might enjoy doing research more than actually doing the teaching um, but I, I get a lot of a lot of the fulfillment I actually get from realizing that that the teaching will actually make a difference in this world um, and, so, and it's so many wow. students that take those physics classes too when you think about it so it's a lot of potential 
Yes, it's a lot of potential. It's also a lot of potential for unhappy students. It's a thing nobody, I, well, a lot of people don't like physics for, for some reason. And um, it's, 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 I, I, I don't necessarily know why. And so I, I understand that physics is, is difficult for, for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of students mistakenly think that what's difficult about physics is, is the math. And it's not really the math that's, that most students actually struggle with. What they struggle mm -hmm. with is, 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 you know, that they have misconceptions. And it's really hard to get over those misconceptions. And, you know, even if I show students like, hey, this is a common misconception, but you can actually see that, that it is a misconception. This is how it really works. That doesn't solve the fact that they have these misconceptions. It's really hard to get rid of those. And so students need to kind of take actions themselves to kind of, kind of um, get rid of them. And that's work. It, it requires an effort and, and it requires kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's an, so if we get a little bit philosophical, in this present day and age, if you kind of look at what's what's going on with a lot of people that kind of uh, believe in conspiracy theories or or you know like like anti-vax people, what's 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 kind of the root thing that that is the conflict is that that we actually say like you know what you should do all your policies and whatever you do you should do on on the rational basis, which means you have to understand how things work, you have to base your your uh, decisions on on facts. Whereas I think a lot of the people that oppose those are more like, well, you know, we want to follow our intuition. Like, this doesn't feel right. And um, that's, that's, that's a big, a big conflict. And so I see this in students as well. You, you come in to a physics course and you come in with, with certain misconceptions and intuitively those misconceptions actually feel right. And, and and that's the conflict, right? So if, if you want to get rid of those misconceptions, what you have to do is kind of recalibrate what your intuition actually is. You have to recalibrate your intuition based on things that you can rationally um, um, deduce. And again, that takes work. But if you do it and you get to that, you gain so much insight into how things actually work that I think it's absolutely, absolutely worth it. And so that's that's essentially what I what I try to do, right? I mean, I don't I don't. I don't expect that that the students that I teach physics now that they will remember the physics five years from now, and and if they don't, that's that's totally okay with me. But um, what what we will need to kind of solve these these grand challenges that we have in our society, right? Um, we're going to need a lot of brain power. We're going to need a lot of teamwork. We're going to have lots of empathy for understanding each other, and a lot of hard work from people to actually solve these problems. And so, what I hope to achieve is that 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 through the teaching or through kind of kind of bringing uh, things to a course that focus not on the mathematics but that focus on like like these is how these things actually work uh, that you know i can inspire at least a fraction of the students to to see that their potential and that's that's a bit the thing right if if you come into a physics course and you say like oh physics it's not my thing i can't do it i'm, I'm not good with math it's, then that's a self-fulfilling prophecy you will always be right because you're never going to do the effort to actually get better at physics and so you know students right. that come in like that i'm sorry there's nothing i can do for you really nothing because mm. you you're working against it right um but if you're coming in and you're like well i mean i'm 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 not good at physics and i have a hard time kind of getting it but i'm willing to work on on you know changing my perspective and and making sure that you know i i, I develop that potential 
you get so much better at problem solving and and those are things you can use in, in everyday life um you know in the physics context too so so and you know it's it's so so for me that's the, that's the key thing right it's going beyond beyond the physics using the physics to actually train things that are say much more fundamental than the physics itself so and einstein einstein already famously said this right he's like the value of an education is not you know the learning of, of many facts because you know you can do that just from from going to the library or something but it's a training of the mind to think something that cannot be learned from a textbook right mm -hmm. so, so the moniker is like education is what remains after one has forgotten what one has learned in school and that's i think from for for me what's what the importance is um, uh, for physics and so you know what it means is in physics i have to i have to get these first year students i have to get them out of their comfort zone because their comfort zone is where all the misconceptions live right, right? so students that are that willing sense. to be like you know i'll follow you for just a bit i want to be able to go back i'll follow you for just a bit just to see what's what's on the other side of the hill you know come out of the comfort zone and, and learn critical thinking and problem solving skills i mean think about it if, if you are gifted with problem solving skills and recognizing information from misinformation you can make so many better decisions in in all sorts of, of areas of life uh, and that's right. that's what i hope to achieve so i'm not gonna lie now that i look back at like i was in first year physics as well and i didn't enjoy it i was one of those kids um but i like now that i like i don't remember most of like honestly the concepts the math of it um but it was always like the like the challenge to just like figure out what the solution is um, it wasn't the most fun to like actually do it, but then when you when you do it afterwards, it just feels so like, I don't know, it's just so fulfilling because like you solve this problem, you know? Yeah, and, and you gain insights in the process, right? So, so, so this morning I was talking about circuits, right? And so circuits, you can have resistors in series, you can have resistors in parallel, and that makes a big difference for what current you draw from the battery. And it's, it's, it's one of those concepts, which is a big misconception. So a lot of students mm -hmm. say, oh, if you have like a nine volts battery, it's always going to produce the same current. Well, it, it does not. The current that it produces depends on what circuits you connect it to. Mm -hmm. and that insight, a lot of the students don't have. And so by, by you know, actually letting them work through, like, well, calculate it for two in series, I get two in what comes out? They're like, wait a minute, there must be a mistake here. Like, no, there's there's no mistake. The yeah. mistake is in your, your preconceived way. <laughs> right. So if they get to that point, they're not going to forget that anymore. Mm -hmm. mm. Right? And then they, there's actually, sorry, go ahead. There, there's this really interesting story I uh, read in a book, and it described um, someone walking through the desert and they're very like thirsty and they're starting to kind of um, feel faint. And so as they're walking, they see a snake on the desert floor and they think, oh my gosh, this is it. My life is over. I'm about to get killed by this snake. And as they're just like in pure despair, the clouds kind of shift over a little and they realize that the snake is actually just a rope. And so they start laughing hysterically, just like, oh, I was so scared. And then someone else passes by and they start freaking out, thinking it's a snake again. And the person can't do anything but laugh because now they can't unsee what they've seen. And that kind of reminds me of what you said with like, once you kind of break through those misconceptions, it, it does kind of create a new pathway in, in your thinking. Yeah, it is. And and so, so I mean, I've, I've taught this, this course several times now, so I, I kind of understand most of what I teach, right? how it should be. 
but we use new textbook this year and so it's all new problems mm. right and so so you know students will will come to me with problems that i have never seen before Mm -hmm. and, and you know as a student you're like oh nervous am i going to be able to do that i'm i'm not nervous anymore about this right because because i know it's it's going to be a new problem and so maybe i'll need some time to kind of kind of think about like how how what is this problem really really asking about but i'm i'm not concerned i'll, I'll be able to figure it out eventually and um that's because because i know i don't need to use my intuition necessarily for that Right. In some cases, it's it's obvious now because I like I've done so many different circuits that in some cases I, I immediately know like okay yeah this is blah blah blah, but in other cases it's not it's not obvious for me either right and so so what I what I know is that I have learned through the years like there's there's just a set a set of of steps to follow kind of kind of a chain of logic to follow and if you follow that that logic then you'll you'll get there eventually. And it may it may mean that in the process you actually kind of get again an insight that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life, and you get that insight not because somebody's telling you, you get that because you're working out like oh this must be so like oh wait a minute that means that's and that insight that you developed yourself based on kind of following like this the scientific rigor that insight you never forget anymore. You were a professor of mine first year and. Uh, I, I guess I want to just share a bit of gratitude. I'm so glad that you're in the position you're in because I think the mission that you're on is very inspiring. And um, yeah, I wish, I guess like students and professors don't get to engage in this manner uh, super often, but I think when it does happen, it's very, it's it's purely, it's like magic. It's It's very magical. So yeah, thank you for all the work you've done and all the, like the vision you have for the future. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. One of the things that I've noticed is that there's lots of, of um, students don't trust their professors in first year. That's true. Um, this is something that actually in the pandemic became became clear. At some point, I was in a, like a first year meeting with, and one of the questions was like, "What did what did the professors actually what did your teachers actually say about professors?" And you know, the answer was like, "Oh, they don't care. They're going to try to fail you. They're going to dock marks for everything." Like, uh, really? I mean. No, that's not that's not what. <laughs> so I I I enjoy the sort of conversations, but but mm -hmm. so when I talk to to first year students in particular, they often just flat out don't believe me. And and if I say like, mm. okay, do, and you know, of course, occasionally you know, I'm I'm a human being as well, so I make mistakes, right? And so it happens that I say something that turns out to be a mistake, and then of course that's a reason for mistrust, right? Oh, he lied to mm -hmm. us. Like, oh, I didn't lie to you. I made a mistake. Um, yeah. and so uh, it, it takes a while, I guess, to build up that, that trust um, as well. In, in upper years, actually, I think it's much, it's much better. Oh yeah, now, like, honestly, like I would ask my props for like anything, but in first year, I definitely felt that. Like, I don't know why, but there was like this tension between students and like props <laughs> that like, they were on like rivals yeah. or something. But like, I, I just like, I look back at it, I'm like, what was the reason they, like all the props are just trying to, teach and like help you out they're not trying to like fail you or anything um i believe there might be a lack of humility honestly I, at least for myself i've recognized how much i don't know as i've grown mm -hmm. and i think maybe it was some level of arrogance or lack of humility being younger um yeah like one one question i did have for you professor so one thing in regards to what we're talking about like could it possibly be this like stressor of achieving marks and not necessarily like the focus on the process of learning that could contribute to this. Like, do you have anything to say maybe on the state of 
how education works or uh, anything kind of like experienced uh, throughout your career? Yeah. So, so the first thing I should say is that, that the way the system is now is very different from how it was in Belgium when I was, when I was a student. So I, we had, I think 10 or 12 courses in, in our first year and second year. Um, we had courses in the fall term and in the winter term, but we had no quizzes. We had no assignments. We had no midterm exams or nothing. So we had 100% of a course mark was on the final exam and all final exams were essentially in June. Mm. So it does give you a lot of freedom early in the academic year. And I mean, you know, we have used that to throw an occasional party, so to speak, because, because you can, right? I mean, you're not missing any deadlines. Uh, it also gives you more time to process things and kind of kind of learn, right? So if you go through problem solving in the terms, some things just take take a time before they kind of kind of sink in. So you, you had the time if you want. So it worked well for me. I mean the exams were hard, don't don't get me wrong. It was typically all our exams were oral exams. So you would get three questions. Um you would get like a few hours to prepare a written answer. And then you would go with that written answer to the prof. He would go over it and we'd start asking you all sorts of questions in addition um, about some assumptions you made or, or you know, until essentially, you know, they found answers, uh, questions to which you had no, no answer. And so we, throughout the year, did not have a lot of, of stress. All, all we had to do is figure out where we had to be at what time for which course. We had to do labs and, and that was it. And so now it's it's completely opposite. Like at, at any given time, students have like like all these deadlines. There's for each course, there's assignments and mm. quizzes and 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 midterms. And I mean, so it's a nonstop, you know, stressful opportunity, right? And and so if you have if you have a quiz which isn't worth a lot of marks, you're still gonna stress out over it. Right. So <laughs> I, I think in that sense, students now have say more continuous source of stress than than what we did i think it's also leading to more um issues with with mental health um, and i think this pandemic has really showed us the importance of in-person instruction and interactions for mental health um, um, as well and so I, I i think that's one of the things that's that we will get better at the, kind of recognizing the importance of, of mental health uh, because only a healthy student can be a good student right um, mm. So, um, yes, I think students have a lot of stress going on. And, and one of the concerns that I, that I have is that I, that I see that students are gaming their education, right? So at, at any given time, they're looking like, like, what do I have in front of me? Oh, that quiz is worth five marks. That's very like, okay, I'm going to pick this one. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I kind of understand the students will say like, well, it's because I cannot do everything. Mm-hmm. And and that may be true given given time management skills and that sort of things, but that's not how it should be. That's really yeah. concerning to me because because essentially what it means is that you miss you miss part of the course material that you may actually need later um, in in your education. Um, so if if you have to feel that you have to sacrifice your learning in in one course for essentially doing well in another course, then something something's not right. And um, that's that's a concern i i also have a concern that that a lot of the students that that well a lot no no there's a fraction of the students that i see in in first year that um are not really interested in learning 
And that's the other thing, right? If you come to university, maybe maybe you just come here because you want to get a degree because because there are so many jobs for which you need a degree. Yeah. But the reason why those jobs require that degree is is essentially because they want you to learn certain things. And they want you, they want to see that you are actually capable of learning things that are out of your comfort zone as well. And so you you have to, as a student, you have to embrace the whole idea of learning in, in the first place. And and again, if you do that, if you like learning, then university is fantastic. It's the best time of your life because there are so many things to learn. Um, right. But if you don't, then you know you have to ask yourself like what what are you what are you doing here? It's 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 unfortunate, right? If you're at the university, and you don't you're not interested in uh, in learning. Um, and and so to come back to your point about about the stress, like yes, I I I, I see that there's a lot of stress. Is there something you can do about it? Well, I mean. I was actually reading some of the feedback of the students on on uh, midterm exam that we had last week, and so one of the things is like, oh, you should kind of um, make sure your exam is, is is scheduled better, that it it conflicts less with other courses. We have no choice, so we started planning our midterm exams in September, and yes, we talked to chemistry and biology, and we kind of figure out when they when they have their labs and when they have their midterm exams. And there was exactly one slot that was available for us to put our exam without conflicting with anything else. And that's the slot that we picked. <clears throat> and that shows me that there's a big problem because it essentially means that every possible weekend there is some exam of some sort and not just one. Right. Yeah. I think that's too much. And then in, in between the exams, there's quizzes and that sort of things. <clears throat> and so, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm part of that, right? I mean, I, I, I do a midterm because I think the students need it and, and it's good for the students. But also this, this year in this term, I, I do a quiz every week. Now, it's, I call it the Quizlet. It's five questions, it's five conceptual questions. And so essentially, if you understand the course material, you will get those questions mostly right. And you know, half of the marks is essentially for participation, the other half is for getting the mark right. So, so if you get zero answers correctly for the entire term, you, you lose, I think, 4% of your final mark or something. So it's an opportunity to actually test yourself, like how is my understanding without having to study very hard for it. So I was hoping that this would not lead to a lot of stress on the students. Uh, whether that's that's been a success or not, I'll, I'll, I'll have to find out. But. Uh, okay but i i think that's a, that's a problem i just i just don't know how to solve that because because there there should be some middle ground where where you you're not swamped with all sorts of deadlines uh, that you need to do um which is difficult because there are so many different courses and and you know all the profs have kind of their own like oh we need to do this and we need to do that so one of the things that I introduced with some of the assignments, for instance, is that that they don't have a due date, they have a best before date. And so it's like like this assignment covers this course material. So ideally you do it by by this date. But if you can't, you're not going to lose any marks as long as you've done wow. it before. Right? Hmm. And for a lot is this of the people, first time you're doing that? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and that's because I think there's there's too much stress for for unnecessary reasons, essentially. But I cannot do much about like like midterms and that's sort of thing, right and, and 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 because because all the other courses are doing this, if I wouldn't do any quizzes or or exams or assignments, the students wouldn't spend time on this course. And so that's the that's the whole paradoxical. Uh, that's very true. Yeah. So if if yeah. I want the students to spend time on my course, I I have to put in certain components which are worth marks. Otherwise, they they won't do it. And so by by wow. doing. 
you know, I'm doing them a favor because they're going to be spending time on the course, but I'm doing that, you know, this favor by essentially putting more stress on them. So it's a catch-22 situation to which I have not found a solution yet. I talked to another prof like way back and she was saying that these like low stake like assignments kind of things are supposed to like take the stress away from like big midterms and big exams. But now you're saying that because it's it added up so much, now these small things are what's causing stress. So it's just. Well, I, I, I don't know. So I don't know whether my quizlets are causing my students a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, by on Friday, I'll do actually a survey of the class to kind of see how they feel about that. Um, so, so I don't know. I hope it takes away some of the stress. And, and it's purely conceptual, so you don't have to do any problem solving. So it's, it's really like, have you followed the course material and, and, and you know, can you reason through it? So in principle, if they just attend classes, they should be able to, to actually get it. If, if they understand what's being said in class, then they should be able to do those, those questions as well. Uh, so I would right. hope that takes away stress, but maybe it doesn't. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's honorable, like all the attempts you're making to kind of try to improve this situation, but it seems like it does need a unified kind of um, like attack, I guess, from like the whole university, because I think you brought up a very great point. I never noticed this, but I guess that is very true. There's not a lot of um, as much focus on the learning if you're just in this constant rat race of like uh, completing assignments and showing that you've learned something. Because I've definitely fallen into that hole of gamifying the system that like, how do I maximize the output on these assessments? And I've had to recognize that that doesn't actually maximize my learning. I don't actually know what I'm learning um, doing it that way. No, and so I, my ideal, what I think now is, might be the ideal situation is, is so like in my course, I have, I, I think I have six units. Right, so it's uh, or something like so. So essentially, I, I have a chapter. It has a certain amount of content. Um, so there is lecture videos online about it. Um, there's there's problems they can do. I, I do some in class. There's assignments. I have these quizlets with conceptual questions. So so they have everything that they need to actually process the material and and learn everything that they need to learn. I don't care when they, when a student gets to that point. Whether that's like the second week of January or the third week of March, for me makes like mm. no difference whatsoever. Mm -hmm. right? mm. so I would actually say for, for each of the units that I have, once you're ready, go to the exam building. If only you would have an exam building, right? Go to the exam building and there you can actually take the exam. Mm. And, and you that's know, how a lot of that's how it, a lot of professional certificates work as well, right? It it would be great, but of course there's a lot of concerns for like exam integrity, right? And so, yeah. so like on, on Friday we had our midterm exam. We we uh, yeah, and and we find that the questions that we wrote for the midterm exam, which take actually quite some time, are already available on the internet with answers. Mm. So yeah, I've heard know. that's a big problem. Integrity is like the problem to solve in this digital age. Well, but so again, if you have if if you have an exam building, you kind of know that this is what you actually set up. So what I can do is is I can actually come up. I can I can make a computerized exam which which is based on I don't know a few hundred questions, and you get like ten random questions, and and you solve them. Mm -hmm. They will be randomly picked from the different different topics, and they will test different learning outcomes, and and. You know, I can make sure that that in an exam building you have no access to the internet, for instance. 
So something like that, I think, would be ideal because then there are students that can, they, they just want to do things chapter by chapter. So for each chapter, you go and do the tests and, and great if, if you pass the test and then maybe there's just one, one exam or something at the end. Um, so I think that's ideal because you do everything at your own pace in principle. Um, if mm. you want. But it's not how it is, unfortunately. A long way to go, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you're already in a lot of uh, different great roles and I hope you continue um, doing this great work. Uh, that's an idea I've never ever heard. And I think it's a very well thought out idea. Hopefully we can have more incredible smart people like yourself come together and kind of tackle this issue. It's, it's not a new idea for myself. It's actually something I heard from, from other people. There are actually universities where they have exam buildings. Ah, uh, okay. It's definitely new to us though. Because yeah. um, it's always like the same deadline kind of format that we followed, so. Yeah, yeah, it's the easiest thing to do, right? So. Mm -hmm. Well, Professor Kami, I'm sure if we had the opportunity, I, we would love to keep hearing all your stories. I know you mentioned um, some trips to Africa where you uh, saw like the solar eclipse. So I'm sure we have many other things to discuss, but uh, I guess this was an amazing talk. Thank you for your time. and. Do you have any final words for our viewers? Well, thanks for having me. Um, and I'm happy to talk uh, anytime. Um, well, so, you know, um, aim, aim, aim to enjoy, enjoy learning and, and um, see your time in university as, as essentially a time where you can focus on developing who you are and who you want to be and how to become the better version version of 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 who you are and i mean that's something that goes on throughout throughout life right i mean um uh, you have a lot of um people around you that can help you not just professors but also you can learn so much from from your own friends and from uh, listening to each other's perspectives not just about course content but also like views on life and and politics and whatnot and um I, I think your time at the university is, in that sense, I think the most valuable time uh, in, in your entire life. And so you have to you have to use it. And of course, not being in person has has hindered that enormously. Um, but yeah, I, I hope going back in person, that's uh, that's something that we can all enjoy a bit more in the future. Thank you.